Acts chapter 16. There are Bibles to your left as you walk in the door if you need one. Otherwise, you're welcome to turn on your phones. You're welcome to have your iPads, whatever it is to help you have God's Word in front of you. We're in Acts chapter 16. In the, in the uh, Bibles provided for you, it's on page 600. Remember, the book of Acts is the book about the acts of Jesus through his apostles as he communicates the gospel to all the world. And when I use the term gospel, some of us aren't familiar with that term. Listen, we don't need you to have a separate vocabulary when we come here. Like, we, we're all learning these things together. And the word gospel just means good news. It just means that God has given you good news. And we're going to talk about what that good news is as we move through this passage together. The book of Acts is a book about how do you experience the kind of joy that the early church experienced. Luke is writing to a young man, probably of noble birth, named Theophilus, to help him understand all that Jesus said and did through his apostles after his ascension. And so we come now to Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read for us from verses 6 down through verse 10. After the council of Jerusalem, if you were here with us last week, this was when they all came together to make a decision about what is it that the Gentiles must do to be Christians. Must they wear certain clothing? Must they eat certain foods? What must they do? And the council of Jerusalem said, look, you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus and be a member of his church. You just need to come as you are with all of your cultural dress. It's okay because it's faith alone in Jesus Christ that matters. And so after the council of Jerusalem, the men went back to Antioch. And at Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, who traveled many, many years and months together, had a disagreement and Paul ended up taking a young man named Silas and Barnabas ended up taking a young man named Mark and they took separate paths and they went uh, through the areas where um, they had previously planted churches. And then you come <clears throat> to the beginning of what is known as the second missionary journey in Acts 16 and I'm going to read from verses 6 through 10. So give your attention to God's word. It is God's very word and he intends it to change you. So let's give our attention to it. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Myasia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and ask his help as we look at his scriptures together. Jesus, would you take your word and would you change us by it? It's just five verses but you intend these five verses to ransack our hearts and to move us toward faith and repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite things to do with my children um, when I get home from work is to play a game that we all love. It's called Hide and Seek. Every dad knows this game, and here's how it works when you have young children. You go hide, 
and they're going to come find you. But normally, when people come and find you, they're quiet, and they're looking across, you know, they're, they're looking around the doors, and they're trying to figure out where you are. But you know how it works with being a parent. It's, are you ready? I'm ready. Where are you? I'm over here. And then they go, and they stumble into the bedroom. And then you can tell that they're losing their endurance, and then they go, Dad? And I go, here I am. And they go over here in this bedroom thinking that you were over there because you try to throw your voice as a dad. And then they walk over there and they, and, and, and they go, Dad? And you go, here I am. And what's funny about hide and seek is it's a very simple game. But when you play it with children, the rules are totally different. It's like, it's like call and response hide and seek. And if the dad's hiding, you know how it works. You're, you go, I'm over here. Here I am! And you lob these little hints just at the moment of time when you feel like their endurance is running out. You know what I'm talking about? When Paul and Silas go on their second missionary journey, it's interesting. They are stopped from doing what they want to do. They want to go into Bithynia, and it says the spirit of Jesus, which is a pretty authoritative spirit, the only one, says you can't do that. And he changes their plans. And most of us think that God's will for our life is kind of like we're playing hide and seek with them. And it's that we just say, God, where are you? And God just kind of plays with us and says, I'm over here. And then we try to go over there and figure out where he is. And then we go to the next room and you go, where are you? And he goes, here I am. Listen, in Acts chapter 16, it's a story about the second missionary journey beginning, and they're trying to go into Asia Minor. But the Holy Spirit doesn't let them go in. He totally changes their plans. So here's a question for you. What do you do when God changes plans on you? And if we're honest, most of us play the game like hide and seek. And we say, God, where are you? And we're waiting for him to say, I'm over here. But the truth about scripture is that God gives us his revealed will. That is, that he just sometimes lays it out for us. For example, the most clear place in all of the New Testament where he says, this is God's will for you, is where he says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's his revealed will. And together with all of the Old Testament law, he gives us what his revealed will is for our life. And so, children, listen to me. So if you're frustrated with your um, sister or your brother because they took one of your Legos, and you wonder, now what is God's will? For? I think it's to punch him in the mouth. You know what? I can guarantee you 100% of the time that is not his revealed will. Because his revealed will says you should love your neighbor as yourself. Or if there's a man who's sexually tempted, I can tell you 100% of the time, it is God's revealed will. He does not want you to give in to that temptation. There is no hide and seek when it comes to his revealed will. But the question comes is what is his hidden will for our life? Because there's a revealed will. That is what Scripture tells us in his law is true, and it is true all the time. It's consolidated in the Ten Commandments. But it's his hidden will that is so frustrating for us. 
And many of us grow up and we think that his hidden will is like his revealed will. His revealed will he gives us beforehand. It's revealed to us. It is his perceptive will. That's sometimes what theologians call it. It's perceived in scripture. But his hidden will is not. You can only look back on your life and see what his hidden will was. So in this passage, we see that these men have a very clear will. They want to go into Bithynia, but they are prevented. And I just want us for a few minutes to look and settle in this passage because most of your anxiety and most of mine, if I'm really honest, is because I keep trying to figure out what God's hidden will is. And here's a secret about God's hidden will. Are you ready? It's hidden. And you can only see it when you look back. In this way, it's kind of like the doctrine of election. You know, nobody comes to Jesus thinking, I'm being elected, I'm being elected, I'm being elected. You know, they just come because they're running to Jesus in their brokenness. But they look back and they go, there's no way I possibly could have made that decision if the Holy Spirit hadn't opened my heart first. That's often the way it is with God's hidden will. When I... Um, Maybe this is just a sermon for me. I imagine it's true for you too. When I, when I was um, deciding where I was going to go to college, I struggled because I didn't want to get God's will wrong. And I, it was a school a thousand miles away or a school in state 250 miles away. And what do I do? And, and then when I got to the end of college, I struggled. Do I live out what I got my degree in or do I do something crazy like go to seminary? I str- what is God? I struggled. I imagine you do too. And so let's look and see if God has anything for us. God's will is not a matter of hide and seek. So what do we learn? First, sometimes God's best yes comes only after a long series of no's. These men had been commissioned by Antioch to go and to spread the gospel. And it says that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That is, if if there's a map up here that you can look at and see, these guys tried to go into Asia. They tried to go into Asia Minor. And they were forbidden to go into Asia Minor. And so, therefore, they couldn't. And they were stuck. And so instead of going through Asia Minor, if you follow the red line, it's up there where it says Asia. They wanted to go all the way through that area and plant churches. That was their job. And the Holy Spirit said, no. I want you to go all the way through my Asia, all the way to Troas. That's kind of like saying to us, you know what, I want you to, I want you to go to Claremore and I want, you to, um, I want you to encourage the saints in Claremore. And you get toward Claremore and he goes, oh, by the way, I, I want you to go to St. Louis. That's about the same distance. It's 300 miles as the crow flies. It was probably 500 miles as they had to go on horseback or on camel all the way across Asia. And they're saying, God, this is, my, this is what you've called me to do, to plant churches. They saw no converts. They saw no churches planted for almost 500 walking miles. Because sometimes God's best yes comes after a long series of no's. God's closed doors, please hear me. 
God's closed doors are given to you with as much love and affection as the open ones. He is no respecter of yeses and noes. He gives them both to you in love. You you think about this in your own life, you look back in your own experience and you can see this, or you look in church history. It was William Carey who wanted to go to Polynesia and to the South Pacific, but God sent him to India instead and he changed the continent. Or another great missionary, Adoniram Judson. He wanted to go to India, but God sent him to Burma instead for 40 years. He had no plans to go there before. Or David Livingston. He desired, he wanted to punch into China and bring the gospel there. But God said, no, I want you to take a U-turn and go to Africa instead. And so Livingston spent his entire life there. Or one of these great preachers of the First Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards. He was an incredible preacher. He got fired from his church in Northampton. And so he took a small call to a small church. It's kind of like the best preacher you can think of in your mind, getting fired from his job and taking a very small church in a very backwoods area. It was called Stockbridge, Massachusetts, and he was a missionary to the Housatonic Indians. And it was there on the frontier that he wrote his greatest works that arguably changed American theology. Or William Cooper, William Cooper lived in the 18th century. Cooper was a man, some of you may relate to this, who suffered from depression his entire life. And uh, he had a lot of dark nights of the soul. And one day he decided he was going to end this game. He had it all planned out. And so he called a carriage to come pick him up at his apartment to take him to the Thames River. And the carriage came to his front door and William Cooper, dead set like flint on what he was about to do, said, drive me to the Thames River. So he drove him in London to the Thames River, except God had set a fog so thick on that city all of a sudden out of nowhere that the carriage driver could not see where he was going. And he got lost on the way to the Thames River. And he recognized where he was at the very end. And so he followed the only place where there was no fog and he let Cooper out right in front of his front door. Think about the own, God's own providence in your life. It's, it's amazing how not one hair, as we just confessed, can fall from your head without, without your father's command. He loves you. But sometimes his closed doors, which are so hard to take, You need to remember they are given to you with as much love and affection as a father to a child as those open ones are. God guides through closed doors as well as open ones. Where do you get that in the text? Well, listen, Paul, if Paul and Silas had stopped there, if they had stopped, they couldn't get into Bithynia and they were like, we're going back to Antioch. First and second Thessalonians never would have been written. First and second Corinthians never would have been written and Ephesians never would have been written. And more than that, you'll notice if, you're, if you look at the text, you notice that all the way through Acts so far in 16 chapters, it's always they, they, they. Luke is telling a story about somebody else until you get to this point in the book. And notice what it says. It says, and then they went down to Troas, verse 8. Lower your eyes to the text with me. Verse 9, and then a vision appears to Paul in the night, and a man from Macedonia said, come on over here and help us. And then when Paul had seen the vision, immediately notice the pronoun changes from they to we. 
We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Where did Luke hook up with Paul? In Troas. And so we would have the book of Luke or arguably even have the book of Acts if, God, if Paul and Silas had done what they wanted. Listen, God works in mysterious ways. That's what Cooper, the man who almost took his life, wrote, wasn't it? God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and he rides upon the storm. Do not judge the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Those closed doors, friends, are given to you in love. Second, God's guidance for you is never passively received. His guidance for you is never passively received. Here, Paul gets a vision. Don't you wish you had a vision for what you should do next? Oh my gosh, you'd make it so much easier. Give me a vision, please. Dream a little dream for me. All right. Paul gets a vision, but notice what the text says. It says that they had to conclude what to do. Paul, Paul wrestled over what to do even after he had a vision. And God's hidden will, for example, or, 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 or God's hidden will for us is not, it, you're to use your brain. You're to think. You're to use wisdom, even if you're given a vision. Whenever in Acts there is a vision given, Luke always tells us that because it's not the normal way God leads his people. He normally does that through very ordinary means. Maybe they didn't get into Bithynia because of an illness. Maybe they didn't get into Bithynia because of a legal ban. We don't know. God normally leads us through just our very ordinary circumstances. But even when he doesn't, it says that they had to conclude. The word there is symbabazo. It's a great Greek word, which means to put the pieces of a puzzle together. So in this case, you take the ordinary means of your circumstances and you take what was the vision for Paul and you click them together and you begin to put the pieces together. You don't turn off your brain when it, when it comes to being a believer. You always wrestle. You always think because he's given you wisdom to use your brain to think well. So God's best yes sometimes comes after a long series of no's. God's guidance is never to be passively received. It's not a matter of guessing. It's a matter of making a wise decision. Use your brain and your circumstances. And then thirdly, God always tells us that our guidance is to be corporate. Very few things will be done well in life if you do them by yourself. And Paul, he was one who got the vision but it says we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel also to them. Paul was an apostle and that he brought it back to the community. These men together said yes, let's go on with the journey. Who do you have in your life, by the way, that you talk to about your future plans in a really honest, candid way? Part of the beauty of the church is that we don't have to be impressed by each other. We, we already are because we're sons and daughters of the king and we can love each other because it won't take you five seconds in a conversation with me before you realize I am jacked up. And it's that way with you. I've, I've got, my motives are always so mixed. 
Sometimes we say to each other, you know, listen, I wanna know what God wants me to do, and I know that if God will just give me a little bit more faith, if I just need more faith, then, then I'm gonna know what to do. No, you won't. Because it's not a matter of the amount of faith you have, but it's the object of your faith that counts. Listen, you can have faith of a mustard seed. That's all you need. Besides, you'll never finish have, finishing having enough faith until you die. It will wear you out. Well, some of us say, well, I need to wait till my motives are pure before I make a decision. I need to really, I need, to, I need God to know that I really am weeping over this. Listen, stop. Your motives will never be pure. Your purest motives are still tainted with selfishness and sin. They won't be pure. You will wear yourself out trying to wait until you have a pure motive. You'll never finish cleaning until you're dead. And then you'll get mad at yourself for being indecisive. I mean, your motives are never, ever unmixed with sin. So don't wait until your motives are pure. Come as you are. That's why, that's why God wants you to come to him. It's in the confusion of the moment that you're to draw into his presence, that you're to lay yourself down and say, Jesus, I rest in you. I have nowhere else to go. I trust you with this. And one of the amazing things about walking in the Christian life, when it comes to not his revealed will, what he tells you to do, you shouldn't be struggling or battling with Jesus over whether you should cheat to get a deal or whether you should skimp on paying your taxes. That's pretty clear. But when it comes time to do the daily things that we're called to do or scripture does not explicitly talk about, we shouldn't beat ourselves up. But here's a very helpful way of thinking about it. Imagine a triangle. Kids, imagine a triangle. And at the top of that triangle is your affinity, is your desire, are the things that you want to do. What do you enjoy? And then on one of the apexes of the triangle is not your affinity, it's your ability. What are you able to do? What task do you want to do? What task are you able to do? And then the other apex, the third apex, is the opportunity. What task do you have the opportunity to do? Listen, as much as I would love to be a neurosurgeon, I don't have the opportunity or the ability. And thank goodness, really not the affinity either, but a bad example. But sometimes we want to do things and one of those three pieces are not in place. You may desire so badly to move to a different city or to do something new and you have the ability to do that, but God has not given you that opportunity yet. Or the opportunity may be there, but you have zero desire to do that. Even if you were able. When your affinity, your ability, and your opportunity come together, do you know what that's called? It's called wisdom in making a decision. And God gives us the community to help us do that. And one of the reasons we have community groups here is to be a community and to think about those questions together. There are people who are on the precipice, perhaps, of leaving Owasso or the Tulsa metro area. And we want to be able to commission them and send them off and help them make a right decision. And we want to help think about what, where in God's providence he may be taking them. And we want to help you feel free to be able to make that decision well and to have collective wisdom to do it. And often it's your affinity, the ability, and the opportunity when those three things kiss. Augustine said, then you can do what you want. Augustine said, when your ability, your opportunity, and your affinity come together and you love God, do whatever you want. That's freeing, isn't it? 
to obey his revealed will, to know his revealed will and to obey it, and then do what you want. That's what scripture teaches. And that's why you have the entire book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. You have wisdom literature in the Psalms in order to help us make good and right decisions. But you need each other in order to do that. Sometimes God's best yes comes after a long series of no's. And God's guidance is never to be passively received. You are to struggle, you're to use your brain, you're to think, and you're to use the community to help you make a right decision. And when you find that your ability, your affinity, and your opportunity come together, when they kiss, then do what you desire. God's given you those desires to make a decision. And so walk in them and walk in them in freedom. And don't worry about trying to second guess God's will. You will not get outside the bounds of his hidden will. He loves you. He cares for you. Even Jesus himself didn't know God's will when it came to the time of his return, did he? There are some things that are hidden, even from the second person of the Holy Trinity. And so please know you're in good company if you just don't know what God wants you to do next. But you know what, we do know what he wants us to do. There's a part in Matthew where Jesus is talking to his disciples and Jesus says to them, I thank my Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That was the things of the gospel, the things that Jesus hasn't left you on your own, but he's come to us in the finished work of his son. And I thank you, Father, for such was your gracious will. And you know what he said to his disciples after that? He looked at his disciples in the face, I would imagine, and he said to me, come all ye who are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the midst of the confusion about what your future may hold, there is one very clear revealed will for you right now, and that is to find rest in Jesus. He's not angry with you. He, you don't have to figure out what his next move is to come to him. All you have to bring to the table is your sin, and that's good because that's all you have to bring to the table. Bring your mixed motives. Add your mixed motives, Horatius Bonar one time said to the list of your sins and come as you are or you will never come. Friends, I want you to know this morning, even as Paul and Silas brought the gospel to Asia Minor, they didn't, it didn't happen the way they planned. But they trusted in the Lord and they kept their feet moving. And they looked to Jesus who was their rest. Do you? I encourage you this week, to look back over the last several years of our life and look at the providential handiwork of God in the way he has caused things to happen you never would have planned, but look how beautiful they've become. And to worship him amidst that. And for some of you, it may just be a long list of no's and not yet's. And that's hard to see, but you have to know that those no's come to you with the same amount of affection and love as those yeses do. Your Savior loves you. When God changes your plans, 
you need to rest in him. He loves you. He's not hiding his best from you. He's giving it to you. And it is in his presence of love and affection. Come to him, all you who are heavy laden, and he will give you rest for your souls. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will remind us that there is no other place we can go except to you. Some of us have the best laid plans of mice and men. Some of us have plans for the next 15 years of our life. It's wisdom to plan for retirement now. But Lord, sometimes you have different plans for us. We don't know what those plans are and when those changes come, oh Lord, help us not to try to figure your next move out, but to rest in you amidst our confusion. You love us and you have our best in mind. Help us to trust and believe that you're good. Oh, Father, thank you for getting these men to Troas, for getting First and Second Thessalonians, for getting First and Second Corinthians to us, for getting Ephesians to us, for picking up a physician named Luke so that we would be able to read about the early church. Otherwise, we would be swimming to try to figure out how the New Testament fit together. And in the stories of Acts, you show us that Paul and Silas are just like us and we need to find our rest in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.